we've tested pretty much every, every model out every there. Every deal that we did was different. Yeah. That can be an advantage and a disadvantage. The advantage is you get to test the market and you get to see what's going to fail or maybe go slower or something that's going to really grab the investor's attention. Like I tell everybody, they're like, well, I don't have a deal yet, so I'm not talking to investors. Yeah. Well, if you're not talking to investors, by the time you get a deal, you don't have a deal. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Self-Storage Income Podcast. My name is Yen. I'm the producer here on the podcast. Today, I'm coming at you straight from a Las Vegas hotel room because AJ and I just got back from the Self-Storage Income live event of 2022. It was such a great week being able to network and learn from others in the industry and meet some of you in person. However, the grind never stops and we are off to another conference, but don't worry, we have an excellent episode of the podcast lined up for you today. We are talking all things investor relations with our very own Kaylee Aceves, who is our very own director of investor relations here at Cedar Creek Capital. She helps us oversee the company's capital raises, investor communications, risk mitigation, contracts, and many other things. So she's our special guest for this episode. AJ, Kaylee, and Connor are going to be talking about different deal structures and how to make deals more appealing to investors. But not only that, how to actually communicate in a way that doesn't put you at a disadvantage, but yet still serves your investor well. And if you are an investor, this is literally the behind the curtain look into the different thought processes and how we approach not only raising money for real estate deals, but also managing that money. And just a quick note for our regular listeners, if you tuned in to last week's episode with Anna Taylor, you may have noticed that in certain segments, there was a very distracting echo in the audio. I apologize for the inconvenience, but that issue has now been fixed. So if you were one of the listeners that was affected by that issue, you can now go back and access the corrected version of episode 173. But anyways, guys, sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. If you guys are thinking about developing or expanding a storage facility, you guys are going to need experts in your corner to help you value engineer, to help you make those critical decisions when building and developing that you have to make to mitigate risk. That means bringing in absolute experts, powerhouses that know and understand self-storage and how to build it right. Forge Building Company is that company. These guys have built over 500 projects nationwide, over 60 million square feet. Again, nationwide, these guys go anywhere in the U.S. They do an amazing job. Again, they know self-storage. Be sure to check out the link in the show notes and check out Forge Building Company. Welcome everybody to Self Storage Income. And today we are talking about investor relations or working with investors. And um, I'm so excited because we have Kaylee, our very own head of investor relations with us. And before we get started in this, I actually gotta tell you about the story because it's one of my favorite stories of everyone that uh, we've ever worked with and how I met Kaylee and how I grabbed Kaylee onto our team. So this is actually like years back. And <laughs> years like, in the making. Like a long time ago. <laughs> and we, uh, Kaylee worked for a third party self storage management company. So they ran and operated uh, storage facilities. And we were growing our management internally. We didn't do third party management, but we you know, were grow growing that. And so we'd, I'd heard about Kaylee and uh, was referred basically saying, hey, 
she's on top of things. You gotta, you know, you gotta go grab her. And so I went down and we just met at your office there and I was talking, I'm like, okay, Kaylee's gotta be on our team, right? We need to get her. And it was very clear. She was running third party management and she was doing all of it and she wasn't gonna come over to uh, our company because she was already employed running everything. So I thought, all right, there's a better way to do this. I'll just buy their company and then I can get Kaylee. And so <laughs> went down that road and tried to buy the company out so we could uh, uh, get them and they wouldn't sell to us. So I was so bummed. And then uh, it was after that, I was like, okay, well, we, we, we left and uh, years later, um, I was like, you know, we need help managing this this whole new private equity side of our business right and uh, i need someone to help me that is really relatable that's on top of things but too understands our industry um to work with investors and i thought man i need kaylee but she's still you know she's probably at that property management company and called up and you weren't and i was like hey we got a shot and so uh, um i uh tracked you down found you and then you were um so gracious to join us uh, and help us uh, build this thing out. So um, been a long time. Yeah, yeah, it has uh, making, uh, you know, a position in the making, right? Yes. A partnership in the making. That's right. uh, yeah, I, the first time I reached out to you, I wanted to manage that Taj Mahal on Franklin. Yep. And um, I was so thrilled to schedule that meeting. And that was like a feather in my cap. So uh, at, back and forth, likewise. We were trying like, to hire each other. Ex we were, yeah. We were like she was on trying a mission. To get our, our, our asset so she could manage it. And I was trying to get her to come help us manage it. But <laughs> yeah, that's right. We yeah. got there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, it's an honor to be here and I'm part of the team and back in self storage because yeah. honestly, like, storage has been amazing from the very beginning and yeah. so to be on this side is really neat to be a part of well and two you actually have a history in self-storage like your family was also managing storage facilities right yeah yeah so that's actually how i got in my mom was uh helping manage the storage in eagle and they needed help and while i was going to college i was doing you know assistant admin tasks like purging files and doing the things that they didn't have time to do and so i started stepping in and i've literally worked my way up through every role including maintenance like yeah. maintenance was part of my responsibilities as well and i'm not talking just like sweeping out storage units i'm yeah. talking about like reprogramming storage condos and doing the things which um i felt was kind of like my my superpower was like uh, somebody says I can't do it, and I will show them. No, I'm I'm going to do it. No, there's not a maintenance man. I'm the I'm the maintenance girl, and I'd load a 14 foot ladder in the back of my minivan at the time, and go handle it. So uh, yeah, had every and role. Lots that's of experience. Uh, exactly the type of spirit and what we needed because when when we reached out, it was I mean really at the time it was. It, me, you, Connor, and we had, um, like we had, so we had our storage business, right? And, mm -hmm. but it was only our assets and our property management was only for our assets. And it was after I uh, was in the hospital um, that I thought and been fired from my job that I was like, okay, you know, we need to do this with other people, right? I need to let other people come in this, what was so amazing to me because it saved my financial life. And so, Connor joined, and I'm trying to even think. It was. I mean, there for a minute, like before we started Cedar, before that was a thing, 
like you said, it was really just the property management where, yeah. I mean, we were just kind of in, in I mean, it wasn't like a small office or anything like that. I mean, we we're just in not this big, nice office with a ton of people working and, and going crazy, but uh, smaller office, we all worked around like a little table, right? Um, like in the break room. Yeah, and, I didn't have uh, an office. Yeah, I literally, yeah. yeah, I worked at, I, I sat the break room and I would go in there. My brother would bring me in in my wheelchair and I'd, I'd sit in there for however long until I'd get too tired and he'd have to take me home. But it was yeah. like, yeah, by the fridge. Yeah, no, we were just hanging out and um, yeah, started Cedar and figured out essentially like, hey, if we're going to do this, we need acquisitions. Because this, this was kind of shortly after we figured out we didn't want to do institutional money. Yes. We wanted to go more the in-house private equity, build out that company and build out that function. And um, yeah, it just it made sense. We need development. We need acquisitions. We need investor relations. And uh, thankfully, I feel like so far we've done an, an, a pretty good job of finding talent because, I mean, Kaylee's killing it. Brian's killing it. And I feel like I do an okay job, I guess. You're doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yes. you're, you're yeah, running a lot anyway. here, so. Yeah, the review's coming up, I think. Yes, uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, you're now taking uh, over even the oversight of the whole entire property management company. And uh, you're you're right. It was like, we need to build these things out. And I, I wanted to do it, but I had no knowledge of it. Like, I'd never taken anybody's money before. It never happened. Can you touch on why? Real quick, because I think that's yeah, yeah. an interesting dynamic for some people where it is. Yeah. They just don't know. It, and it, it, I think the reason why I didn't, you know, I was plagued. I didn't take other people's money because I was bought into false narratives about it. Mm. I thought that it meant that we would lose control, that I would be working for other people. I felt like it was. I almost felt as if it was a friction point and a negative or a downside, not an asset that can actually smooth things out and let you move forward. And uh, um, I didn't really break that mold, honestly, until um, I was hanging out with um, Brandon Turner in Hawaii. That was where I was at. I was, and they walked me through um, and really showed me, you know, a bunch of the people that we were were there, principally Brian, and he was showing, you know, this is how you can do things, right, in Hawaii as we sat there with investors, and it really just broke down a lot of these false narratives and assumptions that I have, it, which is really funny, because it, we had $150 million in assets, and so... Dude, I was just thinking I, of this. Like, like I, didn't, it, I didn't even get it, because I, I yeah. tell people, I'm like, I wasn't a real estate guy, and... Uh, I think people, when they hear that, they're like, oh yeah. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. We had 150 million in real estate assets and I didn't know how to take other people's money. <laughs> like I really didn't understand a lot about the the real estate world. It was just a business to me, nothing else. And we invested in not just the real estate and the infrastructure of the business, right? Technology, all that kind of stuff. That was my whole focus. So. Uh, having that and I thought because it was my business that bringing in investors in they could take away our competitive advantage right they could take away and input more risk right um, which all of those things you know I think a lot of people help me understand how it's opposite and you can utilize investors as partners to actually go further to do more and to make it safer for everyone involved 
Um, and that, that really was very enlightening to me. So then it was like, okay, we need to do this, but I, I didn't know how. So when we, and traditional AJ fashion, I didn't know how, but I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter, we're just gonna do it, right? <laughs> so we did it, and then um, I think that's why this topic is such a great topic for us, because you know, when Kaylee came in, it was literally, we're like, I don't know, let's talk to the investors, right? I, I, I'm going to be trying to talk to investors. You're going to talk to investors. We're going to try to manage them. There was no processes. There was no systems. There was no, we, we were learning through attorneys and other people, but it was figuring it out as we went. And in those first days, because we didn't know, right? We did, we made a lot of mistakes that looking back on today, we're like, of course, now we would never do that, right? And of course now, to me and Kaylee, it seems like obvious, but at the time, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so really, a, a, that's really hard on Kaylee because it was, there's expectations, but there wasn't, like for the first handful of employees, uh, the first three, which are our three executives here, which is Kaylee, Connor, and Brian, there was not a roadmap. Mm -hmm. It was, we're gonna build it. Mm -hmm. And you need to be, um, dynamic and when people asked how and why we chose kind of our executives right on that level that was actually the main thing I was looking for it wasn't knowledge I needed somebody that would be flexible that could build that could go find the resources and do it right because if I had an expert in something and I put them in something that didn't have infrastructure around that I would be setting them up to fail and two they may go this is not right they may leave right I was like that's not the talent I need right now. We can get that. But first we have to actually build out this. We got to figure it out. So we started taking investors and that's what it was. I mean, it was literally just us working with investors and talking to them. I mean, it, it, what, what the first six months we didn't, we didn't even do communications. No. Yeah. Like, it was, it was a little uh, yeah. rocky start uh, yeah. trying because to figure out. Because we were out. growing so fast. Yeah. It was like, because you, you, you have two sides. You got to get them in and you got to Three manage. sides, Three really. Sides. You've got the pre-side, like the pre-raise where you're structuring the deal and trying to figure out what the investors are seeking to reach their goals. And then you have the active raise. Walk through that first phase too, because people got to understand yeah. how big of phases these really are. Like each phase is like a full-time <laughs> job. Right. Um, we've tested pretty much every, every model out every there. Every deal that we did was different. Yeah. Every single one. Like right. Our, our first eight deals that we did were all of them were different. Totally. And so that can be an advantage and a disadvantage. The advantage is you get to test the market and you get to see what's going to fail or maybe go slower or something that's going to really grab the investor's attention uh, prior to making it active to raising. So is this going to be successful? Are people going to want to invest in the structure? And so having a preferred return, identifying if we're going to do that or identifying if we're going to bring co-sponsors on the deal or if we're going to do a, a 70 30 split on the front side and go to a 30 70 on the back side or whether we're going to do a 50 50 on the back side and so we've we've been able to kind of test the market which has been great um we've kind of have found a sweet spot which is really good for a standard standardization so yeah. now we kind of know where we need to go we can tweak it based upon what the market conditions and the investors are seeing or fearing or want to achieve and then we can go from there so if it's a huge raise like 
the structuring of the deal is going to be super important so that the deal sells itself yeah. versus us relying on reaching a larger audience. If we yes. can reach a smaller audience and make them super excited about the deal, that smaller audience, chances are they're going to invest more and hopefully they'll refer to their investor friends. And so uh, definitely an advantage in the structuring. Well, and two, you know, like when we started out because we didn't know, struck, it's just not only like the offering the investors, but the, the structuring had to work within our mode, which was very different than, well, I don't even know if anybody does our structure at all, uh, period. Yeah. Even today, definitely nobody back then. And so when we were looking at other structures, trying to put them over like our strategy with investors, it actually, some of those deals, it didn't make a whole lot of sense, which we just deferred back to, we'll, we'll just give more to the investors, right? Mm -hmm. So the structure also has to line up with your strategy, your, like, your advantage and what you have as core competency. So we were going like back and forth, right, on those things to fit not just the best structure for investors, but also the best structure for our investment strategy within those assets. Yeah, and sustainability. Yes. So going to that structure and identifying the fees. I know a lot of investors don't like to hear that we're collecting fees, but as long as you're communicating the story as to why and really how crucial it is for a sponsor's sustainability and long-term longevity, with yeah. that's our goal. We want long-term investors with long-term investments. We have to make sure that we create a sustainable structure to pay to yeah. continue managing that asset and communicating that asset. Yeah. So that Chris is- Chris from Fort Worth talks a lot about this, where he's like, you know, if you don't have fees, that's actually the biggest red flag, which I completely yes. agree, because it means they don't have a business. Mm -hmm. And when the market turns, they don't have anything to rely on. It's, and their incentives then are, and I've seen this over and over again, I'm gonna liquidate this deal, I'm gonna get out of it. It doesn't matter what's good for the investors or not, because now my internal economics are going to dictate their overall outcome and they lack resources, so the overall deals are worse. They don't have the talent to exercise and get the revenue goals on those deals. And when we first started, we didn't have fees. Yeah. And it was very obvious, and we were in a position to where we didn't need fees because we could just pay for everything off my own assets. And after working with some of the most talented, biggest in the world, it was, wow, this is, this is really wrong. And beginning investors, right, that is not a good thing because it means you not only will work for free, but if things don't go as planned, you and your investors could get in, into big trouble. Yeah, there's a lot of shame around the fees. Uh, as a sponsor, no like, sense. yeah, and that mentality needs to go away that you should be proud of the fees that you charge if you're, if you're Providing being a the good, value. exactly. Yeah, like our fees are a, a massive discount. Like, yes, we have fees, but let me tell you why. Yes. And we are vertically integrated. So we have to pay for in-house all of these things. And if we didn't charge these fees, uh, let's say our competitor, right? Maybe yeah. they're not vertically integrated. They're gonna have to hire a third party. Yep. So 
in actuality, they're going to have potentially less quality third-party deliverables. And than, the investor's paying more. Right. Way more. It's more expensive, less quality. And yeah. so what we've created here is this awesome, vertically integrated in-house everything from like acquisitions to investor relations to project management to media to yeah. we have like all the bases covered. And there's such an advantage to having the right team, the right tools, the right structure, and it all costs money. You have, well, to, you have to pay for it. I mean, like our, our deal that we were even, we did whatever it was eight months ago um, that uh, we had, an I was having a conversation with an investor. He was talking about our fees that, and he's like, well, you know, um, which is always weird. I don't even have these conversations anymore with investors. Like justify your fees. I'm like, if I have to justify, you don't know us and we shouldn't be having this 100%. conversation. But he was like, justify your fees. And I'm like, you realize that this asset that we got off market right here that you're buying, this is 10 million off what you could get it in the open market today. Mm -hmm. 10 million. That's like 60% wow. of the cost of the asset because the individual was a mom and pop. They'd never done it. We were buying it under replacement cost in a first tier market. And I'm like, if you don't see the value in that, as opposed to paying this measly fee, like, yeah. and you don't want investors like that. Like right. they're like if you have to be justifying or showing them they and two for us what it tells what it told me is if you were having conversations like that I was failing I wasn't doing a good job representing our value it's a really really important piece for people when working with investors. One of the best ways to increase value of your storage facility is to integrate tech to improve operations right so Janus International actually has. Their no-key technology. It's a keyless access entry system that allows not only the access and entry to the gate, to the building, to the unit, it allows tenants to, and potential tenants to actually come in and rent a unit online, right? They can access online, see what units are available, rent the unit, access the building, the unit, everything straight from their phone without ever having to go to the office to do any kind of paperwork, do any kind of that kind of to do any kind of paperwork or any of that, which is an incredible amount of value for so many people and that user expectation that people have in today's marketplace. Again, Janus International, their no-key system, be sure to check that out. Link is in the show notes. When you guys are looking at property management software for your storage facilities, there's a ton of options out there, but no other option compares to Tenant Inc. Tenant Inc. is going to be your one-stop shop solution that has an amazing amount of tools that you can deploy at your fingertips to maximize the value of your facility, to operate it more efficiently, more effectively. They have an open API where you can back in almost anything you want. You own your data, and it's just an incredible solution. I can't say enough good things about these guys. Link is in the show notes. Be sure to check out Tenant Inc. And I don't even think that it's a poor job. I think it might be we assume that these investors know about your podcast yes. and that they know about your educational brand and your books. And so for my team and myself is really out of the gates asking them questions like, well, are you familiar with AJ Osborne? Are you familiar yes. with 
self-storage income? What about the book? And kind of gauging where they're at. What's their experience yeah. in, in investing? Um, how much capital are they looking to place? And just kind of really diving into who they are, what their experience is, what their goal is, and aligning it and directing them. So if they don't know much about, which is honestly more often than not, it's kind of shocking. Um, but but the more I dive into this industry, it's really not because these people typically have a W-2, right? They're doctors and they're anesthesiologists and, and they have their one area of focus. And so if I can provide value to them by either giving them the resources, if they're interested in looking into what we do and how we do it, or just giving them cliff note version over the phone, which that works too. And normally when I give them the information, um, they, they start diving into it themselves and they're like, I get it now. Yeah. And so it's a win. And yes, it does. It's time consuming, but it is also yeah. self-serving because I find a, a lot of, um, gratification over providing value. Well, so. And this is a perfect example that if you don't have materials and you're gonna have those, you need, before you get those investors in, you need to have materials made that describe you, your strategy, like do you have business plans? Do you have, can you articulate that, right? Yeah. Outside just talking, like do you have something to send to those people, right? Yeah. And it, that, uh, to really describe that value, so then when in perfect example, have you heard anything about this? We're going to send you some stuff. Then let's talk because what you're talking about is our business strategy. Yes. It's our business plan. It's our core competencies, right? And even if you don't, you say, well, I don't have any of those things. Yes, you do. They're different from ours, right? So your advantages that you have, even if you've never done a deal are very different from ours. I tell people all the time, listen, if you're buying a 20,000 square foot facility, I can get twice the yield on a 20,000 square foot facility than I can get on the assets that I'm buying. Then people are like, well, why don't you do it? I'm like, because that is not economically feasible for me, nor my investors, right? Mm -hmm. But for individuals starting out, just like when I started out, it's very feasible. And for them and their investors, they can get a great yield. You should be telling that story, yeah. right? Like everybody needs to have prepared that story to communicate strategy and value to their investors before they get on the phone with them. Or else it's like you said, you're starting from scratch. All of a sudden it's, you know, really, really hard and you can talk to people, but if you're talking to somebody that you don't really know, it, it really does. You're right. It comes off as just words. You right. need more. You need to explain it, to show it, to walk through it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I kind of feel like too, we're touching on like this, this concept of finding the right investors and plugging them into the right offering as well, where I think that's something that I feel like people might miss when they're yes. first starting out, where you know not all investors are created equal just because somebody's gonna give you some money, maybe it's not what you need. So like, right, we, we chose that institutional money wasn't something that we wanted to go down the path of for a number of different reasons. Um, but then we find out that, hey, well, this investor actually likes development projects, this one doesn't. And it all comes down to figuring out what their goals are, again, like you're talking, Kaylee, and plugging them into those right offerings. Um, kind, of, kind of going back, do you want to touch on just some of the process of you jumping into the role, the, some of the aspects that you had to learn out of the gate, so just the process of you from start to where you are now and kind of some of those things that you went through, wish you had known, some of those other things that I think so many people from a capital raising standpoint and in just an investor relations standpoint, like how do you build this out? How do you 
start raising money? How do you start talking to investors and just how to? Yeah. yeah. Well, AJ set the stage, first of all, uh, your podcast. You had already created the the platform that really people were grasping to and interested in. So you had the basis of investors, at least the first round. So that yeah. is was crucial. Uh, jumping- and everybody can not do this, by the way, but like not have a podcast, but like I tell everybody, they're like, well, I don't have a deal yet, so I'm not talking to investors. Yeah. Well, if you're not talking to investors, by the time you get a deal, you don't have a deal. Right. right. So it's like, like <laughs> we were doing it right. You should be going to meetups. You should be creating business plans. You should be talking to people about your strategy before you even have the deal. Yeah. Same thing. So then when you walk into it, like me, they, like we had prepared people, right? They understood our core competencies and strategy. Everyone could do that. It, yeah. You don't need a podcast. You don't need those things to do that, but you do need to be out talking, networking, preparing. Yeah, I think what it really comes down to is that first step is providing a no strings attached value, whatever that might be, might look different for everyone. So uh, learning that having that as your foundation was crucial and will be crucial to creating your ecosystem of investors, right? Uh, Two, uh, legal syndication attorney, like (laughs) that would have saved a lot lot out of of the gates as having somebody that specializes in securities and offerings. Uh, and helping us identify our unique structure and really how to portray that and put that in front of investors. And also identifying how do we communicate our differences is not a downside, but the upside and the difference and a good difference to this investor community. So learning how to effectively communicate across multiple types of investors and really listening to their social social cues like are yeah. they interested in actually hearing about this they might not the, yeah. they might not have time to be listening to our full story yeah. right so understanding that too and listening to really what is what is it that they want and delivering what they want yes. uh, so listening is huge in in that and identifying and aligning the structure and the strategy um, we, yeah, we're not in the business of convincing. We're in the no. business of explaining. Yes. That's very, very different. Right. It's it, like, it, it, we're not here to say, no, 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 but wait, there's more. No. Yeah. If you want to listen, we'll explain it to you. If you don't, we won't. It, like, we don't care, right? It's about building and letting people know what we're doing. And then those that are interested, explain the strategy. But I love what you just said there. You are helping them. You're giving value to them. But... At the same time, you're we're very aware. You don't want to talk. We, we don't, we don't yeah. talk. We're not here to convince. Right. And as let's say uh, so, securities too, five hundred six B and C offerings, yes. and then also aligning accredited and non-accredited. These are things I had no idea. I knew how to sweep out a storage unit. I knew how to program yeah. a, you know, a, a operator. Uh, I knew how to operate gates. I knew how to do rent rolls. I knew how to do all of that. This was awesome to have that background, but understanding the structure was crucial. So uh, once again, providing value to the investor. If they're not accredited, I don't say, no, you can't invest with us. I, yeah. No is never a good answer for me. I, yeah. I'm sure you yep. have found that 100%. out. Like I will find a way. Yes. So what I want to do for the non-accredited investor is give them the tools how to get accredited or direct them to a 506B offering. But they also have to know that those offerings aren't marketed. So that they have to get on some kind of distribution list for that potential opportunity. So knowing securities, 
on a high level. I'm definitely not legal, obviously. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, why we hire. Here is yeah, legal this advice is not advice. <laughs> <at all>. This <laughs> is definitely our lessons. We're talking about our lessons of actually messing this up because we yes. actually had an attorney who we found out after they were making legal documents. We're like, well, I don't think you really know what you're talking about, right? Yeah. And we had to go out and find the experts to really help us. And that you're right, that slowed us down a lot because we didn't have the best help and that left more questions than answers. And it was really hard to get started off that foot. Yeah, exactly. So knowing that, having a good legal firm out of the gates, uh, a good financial team that can give you the initial documents of like the 100K performance of a low performing, average performing, and high performing, that's crucial too, because honestly, that changes throughout the process, pre, post, and after. So you're going to be communicating with your financial team consistently, reconfiguring those numbers, answering the investor's question of where where am I at in this life cycle? What does my 100K investment look like? And some we have some yeah. people saying, what would a million dollars look like in this yeah. scenario? So we're constantly manipulating, molding, kind of finding a happy medium of what's too much. We yeah. really want to make them happy, but at the same time, we also have to be sustainable, right? If we 100%. did every scenario, that wouldn't it be would, sustainable. Yeah. So we try and find those, like, where is this going to answer most investor questions so have it prepared but two yeah. i i love what you said about like we're bringing value so even if that value is not with us here's value go find we want them to be successful yeah. right that's the only reason we're doing what we're doing i didn't need to create the firm i didn't need investors the only goal with it was to allow access for other people to come along mm -hmm. The content's free. This podcast's free. We share everything completely for free. It is 100% we're trying to create the best solution for individuals, whether that's with us or not. And two, like Connor mentioned, we don't want everybody. There's people that our investment strategy is not doesn't fit what they want, doesn't fit what they're trying to achieve. So we're not trying to get them to change. Their, no, 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 no. We want people that have the same goal right mm -hmm. we, and we're okay that that's not we understand that's not everybody right. that's fine so let's help them find and depending on their goals and everything yeah. let's push them towards something that they can be successful in. 100 percent. and a lot of the times is do you know about this offering and this operator they're they're a fix and flip they're a mm -hmm. short-term hold uh and different pros and cons to both strategies yeah. but being able to direct them or say why this structure might do something different that they really didn't think about is, is crucial so you really have to know every level of yeah the business and the syndicating and the legal and the tax advantages and the yeah. disadvantages it's a, you kind of have to have a little bit of knowledge in every department. Every department. That was what was eye-opening yeah. to me was, yeah. yeah. there's a lot of knowledge, but I, I, I enjoy the challenge because it, it allows me to grow and it allows me to provide value and it allows, yeah. it allows a lot of things and uh, being able to grow through experience again. So yeah. it's yeah. been amazing. Other than trial by fire, how did it, like that educational process, what did, what did that look like for you? What resources, tools did you identify that, that provided the most value for you to be able to then be in executing as you needed to? That's a great question because I was the typical person out of the gates of, I don't have time. I don't have time. I'm overloaded in my day-to-day -day working in the business, trying to just get the capital raised and structured and all of the things closed out, form defilings, that 
I really had to ask myself, you know, am I going to be that person that makes excuses? Because everyone can make excuses. Or am I going to go to the next level and find a way? I will. I and I decided to to find a way. So despite having a crazy schedule and six kids and five different schools and sports, it was like, okay, where can I fit this in? And it was that I determined through audiobooks and podcasts and uh, I, seriously free, pretty much free, free. knowledge, you yeah. know, um, just listening every morning. It was like, okay, get up one podcast in and get one chapter in and start doing little bites of each thing. And every morning it was like an aha moment. And I'm sitting there doing my hair and my makeup and I'm texting my team or you or Sam. I'm like, oh my gosh, listen to this timestamp, whatever, whatever. And I send it on and say, this was hugely valuable and we need to consider this maybe in the future for structure or communications or gosh, I had no idea this was even a thing in our industry. So the free education podcasts are amazing. I've got a couple that I actually have in put to my team site for my team members where it's like, if you find valuable information, share it. And so I'll also send them episodes like you need to listen to this episode. Yeah. This really hits on a lot of things that we're going through right now. So, uh, the, well, and the, it creates the questions. It does. Like it's, you know, sure. we don't need to know the legal uh, uh, part of it, but you can't just call attorney that specializes in these things and say, what should I do? Yeah. That doesn't work. They're like, I don't know. What do you want to do? Right? Like it's, mm -hmm. there's a million things you can do or want. You need to be able to ask the questions. You need to have a, like you said, you need to have a fundamental understanding of these things. Um, to be able to direct and then conversate with investors. We say, we're not tax experts, but here's some places where you should go look and understand depending on your situation. We're not attorneys. Here's some resources and here's some questions that I have. You should go ask and talk to other people about it. Yeah. That's what's important. Totally. And you know what's awesome too is we've learned a lot from our investors themselves. Oh, yeah. So in those discovery conversations and in building those relationships and asking them about their prior investing experience, my next question is typically, and how did that work out? How do you feel about that? Did you like that structure? Did you not like that structure? Doesn't mean we're going to structure the deal based upon what they say, because I mean, they might come back and say, well, yeah, we want 100% ownership. And, mm -hmm. you know, but yeah. at the same time, it's really been enlightening to see, okay, well, they didn't like this for this reason. Well, they liked this for this reason. And maybe we can marry the two and have yeah. this uh, dynamic, awesome opportunity that would be desirable across multiple Which we, people. we did. Our, our structure, like a lot of people think that, you know, the structure is something that we need or we wanted, so we put it into place. Our structure is a direct result of what the investors wanted. Yeah. On our first five, six deals, every deal changed due to our feedback, and we got to a structure based upon the feedback of our investors that worked really good for them, that they liked, how to maximize, and worked for us on our strategy. Our entire investing structure really came from 50-50 of our strategy, what we need, and then the other 50 was direct feedback from investors to you on, I like this, I don't like this. And that's a big key, I think, starting out, not having investors or working with investors, you need to be very open to communications. Yeah. And you need to understand there isn't necessarily set ways. You need to do what's best for you, but you also need to obviously do what's best for the investors. Um, but you need to listen though too. We were, you were listening to people that were good for our investments and strategy, right? It's not like 
somebody called you up and say, yeah, I want you to just sell this in next year. And that's best for me because we can get such a big return on it. Right. And we're like, okay, well, we'll do, that's not what I'm saying. No. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying. But um, we were very, we are very open to feedback. And a lot of people, I don't think, get that. They yeah. think I should go out of the gate. I should know everything. Mm-hmm. I should have all the tools, resources. That's not how it works. And if you haven't done it, how can you know? How can you know that that's the best thing for you, that that's the best thing for investors? If your first deal is your exact structure that you never change forever moving forward, I have questions. <laughs> Why well, did you pick that structure? Yeah, like, and this hits on like a really, something that I just thought of as you're talking about this is, and you would obviously know, Kaylee, do we have to, I think people have the have the perception when they're going to talk to all these investors and high net worth individuals that they're super sophisticated, they know everything about all these different asset types and offerings and structures and everything else. Is that the case or do you, because I feel like it wouldn't be. And just in our conversations that we've had internally where it's like, I feel like a huge majority of it, most of these investors that you're gonna talk to haven't really done this before. They're just looking for another avenue. They're looking for you know, a different place to park their money or get some returns or whatever that, that looks like for them. Um, and they're not expecting some kind of set structure that's just industry standard or whatever it is across the board. So you feel like we're having to educate a lot? Uh, I would say more often than not, yes. So we have a couple types of investors. You've got the engineer investor who is really good with numbers and comes back questioning the underwriting. And I just instantly send that over to the financial department. Our underwriting is proprietary and very comprehensive, which I can understand maybe why they're asking the things that they're asking. Um, Then you have the one that's like a holistic investor that's more interested in like the idea and the dream and the financial freedom goal and how are you going to get there. Uh, And then you have the investor that is uh, doesn't really know anything about it. They just know that they've heard it's a good asset class and yeah. then a good opportunity and they want to get in it. Uh, and then you've got, uh, a, I mean, you literally have a wide yeah. variety of investors and- Institutional people. Yeah, determining. Like, they, you know, I had a conversation for a long time with two guys and they were comparing our deal to BlackRock. Yes. And, and they're like, okay, but there's more risk associated with you than BlackRock because they're bigger and everything. And they're like, you're, you, so why do you think you can get bigger returns? I mean, I go, well, hold on here. I can go into our investment strategy, our advice, you know, why we get these high returns and why maybe BlackRock wasn't on whatever, but I, why would I do that? I'm not BlackRock. If you think that you're more comfortable with them and you're these big investors that are going to deploy us, go with them. Mm-hmm. Like, don't don't try to make it work for me to make you feel better. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need this. Like, I, I don't need you to give it to me and I'm not going to be BlackRock. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. I'm not on this deal, right? Eventually it will and I'll buy BlackRock. But <laughs> on this deal right now, I, I'm not, right? Yeah. Yes, we're in the top 50 private owners in the world of self-storage, right? Yes, we have all these amazing amazing credentials, but we're not the biggest asset manager in the world, like BlackRock. I don't have trillions of assets. Well, again, I mean, that even just touches on even these institutional individuals who you would think would be, and should be, uh, in my opinion, educated enough to know that you couldn't and shouldn't even try to make that comparison. Yeah. Right. 
but those are the questions you get. And that was the avenue I was going to go is then you have the investor that wants to compare and you're always comparing apples to oranges because as we found out in the most recent book we're reading, it really solidified our assumption that there are so many ways to structure a deal that there is no industry standard. And so what some operator syndicator fund managers putting out is going to be different based upon their terms. And I think that out of the gates, when we received that kind of feedback of the comparisons, we came out with the defense. Like, yes, we, we felt offended and we yes. felt like hurt that they would even try and like bring us down on our structure because we were so like, yeah. this is so good for investors. Right. Yeah. And so to have somebody question that was like, this is a huge blow to our ego and maybe we need to go back to the drawing board. And it's almost like uh, going from a child to adolescent to adulthood. Yeah. We're at adulthood and we're like, no, we are comfortable where we're at. Yeah. We have been all the other places. We are, we yeah. have the maturity and the, and we, the experience to speak upon. So mm-hmm. now we're like, okay, yeah, that's a great deal. And if that's the that's strategy and structure, yeah. then I would say you should probably consider that one. Yeah. And instead of saying, oh, maybe we should like, maybe could, we should flip yeah. our deals. Maybe we should do it and change our strategy and structure, yeah. which doesn't make sense. And I think you have a big problem, especially starting out the comparison. People are really hard because they're comparing and most times the you know the investors they don't know what they're comparing and this is a really big point you have to understand when dealing with investors and i struggled with this so much because to me the value is in the asset it is in that individual asset and that overall performance and that's what i always focused on and tried to explain right here's the upside things like that when you move over to investors though uh, you know investors are looking at the om And they're looking at numbers that are plotted out and they're comparing an OM to an OM. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that, not having ever worked with investors. And it was like, you you have to realize, and we talk, that's totally a different world. That's not our asset. That's not our strategy. That's not anything. So comparing it doesn't even make sense. It's not even logical, right? And, the investors, lots of times, you got to walk through, and it's not about being defensive and saying mine's better at all. Mm-hmm. That's not. There's. That's pointless. There's no point in even doing that because it, it, it doesn't mean that the other is bad at all. They have options. They have opportunities. This is ours, but we're not a flipper. We're not doing these things that they're doing, and this is why we do what we do. This is why we believe in it and strong. You can go look at other people all day long, but. This is our strategy. This is why we do what we do. And it's not like other people. So when you're starting out thinking that you have to compare yourself or you have to match, right? First of all, investors don't actually think that or believe that, right? They go with it predicated on you and the investment and your underlying business plan. Um, You don't try to be something you're not. Mm -hmm. Don't try to be someone you're not. That will never work. And that does really big damage to you in the eyes of investors. Yes. And it, I think it shows a lack of understanding of your personal strategy and things like that or what you may be doing. So you need to say, this is the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. And this is how it is. Now, you obviously were say, saying take feedback. Now, I want to get to a basic here, though, too, really quick. We're talk, you know, when we're talking about communicating with investors, lots of people have different types of investors, friends and families, mm-hmm. for example. That completely changes your conversations. Why? Because you are not like we are, 
underneath security laws guided by the government and what we can say, how we can say, who we can do it, our structures, right? We file it with the government. We are regulated. Um, we, you know, we have to work within a certain way. When you're with friends and families, it, that's totally different. It's, you know, you can do a lot of different things. And if you're moving on to a different structure, like you mentioned before, one that maybe isn't accredited investors, that's a totally different world too on how you need to approach things and what you need to do. So working with individuals and working with investors is really going to depend on your legal rights and ability because these people, like I'm, I'm a very big believer in this. And one of the reasons we never took money was because I was terrified. I am kind of by nature a people pleaser and I was terrified of losing someone else's money. Mm -hmm. And when we take other people's money, they are first in our structures and everything. I will always forfeit returns. I will always forfeit gains. I would always forfeit my position. I take all the risk because I am so scared and I want to protect that investor. When I say scared, I'm scared that the investor would ever in any way, shape, or form be financially harmed by me. Mm -hmm. That terrifies me. And if that doesn't terrify you, you probably shouldn't be taking people's money because that means you're not going to approach it seriously Absolutely. and you're not going to take it seriously. And when you go into these, working with these investors and the structures, one of the biggest things about our structure is that underlying thing why we do deals the way we do is it it's with that focus on that individual investor and making sure that they are whole that they're protected and you know going about that but how you talk to people you don't you you can't do a deal and then just go start marketing the deal on the internet right this is serious you just don't get to market to collect money from people that's not how it works. There are very, very strict laws. And you need to make sure that your attorneys are experts if you want to do that. Friends and family, just creating an LLC to buy it, that's how most people will start. And that's a great way to start. That's how I did it. And that's how everybody should do it. It was just so literally me and my dad. I would like to yeah. speak on that real quick. So yours was a little bit different because your dad had an active role. And so an LLC would yes, be sufficient. So just to put it out there to the listeners yes. that uh, if your friends and family are participating, but they have a passive role, anytime you bring in a passive person that's putting money into a deal where you're doing all the work, that's actually a security. Yes. No matter if it's be grandma. A partner involved. Yeah, they that. have to have yeah. an ongoing duty for the life of the 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 project so just want to make sure that no, that's out there that they understand that like your dad is your business partner he's in doing yeah, the work, work alongside with, you yeah exactly and we so. had um um we actually had our attorney on the podcast you guys can go back uh and listen to her and she talks about all this kind of stuff we don't want to get too far in the weeds in any of this because <laughs> we're not attorneys or whatnot and it, this represents exactly the point of having those attorneys when you're working with investors or setting up structures or anything else um now let's talk about you got to a point with an attorney, you have a structure, you're getting a deal, right? Now, how does it look and how does it work with investors on a deal? So let's say that you, uh, you've already closed the deal, right? What are uh, things that you need to know, understand with those investors 
at ownership. At ownership. Well, you start a whole new level of communications and tracking and a new standard operating procedure. It is aligned with the other operating procedures, so you can kind of tweak what you've already got, but you need to find out the frequency of communications, what's going to be too much and what's going to be not enough, and the flow and the content. So making sure that what you're putting in your communications is going to answer the questions before the questions get there. And so we We've been able to really experience all realms. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right? Once again, all of it. growing through too the experience. Much, too little. Yep. Yes. And so we can really speak on behalf through our own experience that uh, monthly was too much. We were digging yes. too, we were spending too much energy and trying to find a good update to give the investors. And then it was just kind of like, well, that was really yeah. not, it's we could have waited. Facility. Exactly. It's just like nothing changed. Or right. development. Or, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And management's <laughs> Still like. Still land. Yeah. yeah. Management's like, you were just in my office last week looking. I'm like, I know, I know, I'm sorry. But anyways, monthly's too much. Quarterly has kind of been the, the sweet spot for our communication yeah. frequency. We do profit and loss balance sheet, and we just really streamlined out very comprehensive, but high yeah. level quarterly communications that covers the revenue, the updates, what yes. we've done historically so that the investors can remember what we've done to the facility to inject capital into that appreciation. Yeah. Because if we found out uh, we were failing at communicating the, the less distribution that maybe they're getting, it's because we're putting that capital into the appreciation of the value it's, or the asset itself. And so making sure that our, our investors understood the strategy behind that, communicating mm-hmm. it in the communications and putting it out there. We're also tracking depreciation and what that looks like either what they recorded in year one or what they can expect for the next 39 years based on the cost seg report so we've really streamlined based upon investor questions after we've released communications of okay what's our next step what is the one thing we can do thus in turn to minimize everything else in the future and make it so that it's not a thing anymore so for us was like okay well if we're going to continue to grow and bring in this massive amount of investors we can't have a thousand investors asking three questions each we have to address that with the communication and eliminate that right now automate eliminate communicate all of it so uh, we've really i think got ourselves on the the right path for a really good future and happy investors. It's it's one of those things that, um, you know, we've, once again, you're, you're exactly right, we've um, communicated too little, too much, and me by nature, I over-communicate. Like, when I'm excited about this deal, I wanna tell you everything. I wanna <laughs> tell you a, a rate spread across this, and I'm so excited about that, right? And um, while that's a benefit on things like a podcast, um, to investors, particularly investors that aren't doing the work, they're not on the deal, lots of times they don't understand at the end when I was done, they didn't understand what the offering was. Yeah. They're like, I don't get it anymore. And I'm like, how can you not get it? I just showed you the greatest (laughs) deal ever kind of thing, right? And they're like, I don't understand what the offering is. So over communicating is actually a really big problem. And it's a problem that I, have and I've had. And the reason is I'm not thinking about them. I'm thinking about us and what we do and why I'm excited about it and why the deal is great, which that's good. And we communicate those things, right? But at the same time, it needs to be like you say, it's all about framing, right? Mm -hmm. Here's the plan. Here's where we started. Here's where we're going. And here are all the things that either take away from that strategy or benefit it that you need to know, right? Now, 
unlimited amount of details about things that are irrelevant, literally irrelevant, that creates questions, creates doubts. It creates things that you're like, well, no, I was just saying that so you could be updated. It's nothing, right? And that's, you know, it's a big problem. But now with that said, you cannot under communicate. Yeah. Like we go deep into here's exactly where the occupancy is. Here's where the revenue is. Right. But what we do is we really communicate the things that are important to them. That's important to the actual asset achieving the goals. Mm -hmm. And if there's any problems or anything else, we address them quickly. Mm -hmm. And when we started, you know, uh, Heather, who's been um, one of our investors uh, from the very beginning, I just absolutely love Heather to death. And she's yeah. literally like she's like family. She's anymore. like family. Yeah, yeah. And w- I respect her so much. I would just sit on calls and videos, and I have notebooks worth of notes because she was a huge asset to us because we were seeing the other side of the table. She was communicating what they're seeing, interpret, interpreting, right? And she really helped me understand where she walked me through and was like, why did you even talk about those things? Right? And I'm like, well, it's cool or whatever I thought, right? Right. And she's like, but I now I don't understand. I have questions. And then understand the things that we need to see. So work with your investors on that communication. What do you want to see? Why do you want to see it? And the things that are, first of all, that they have to know like problems, you address immediately. If there's a problem, address it, right? You don't want them to say, there's a problem or I didn't know about a problem, it's not getting fixed, right? Because that then all of a sudden, it's creates doubt. If you have a problem, tell them what the solution is. All right, everybody, if you're gonna be going out and buying and purchasing and investing in a self-storage facility yourself or even with partners, you're gonna need some money, right? You're gonna need some financing. You're gonna need funding. Look no further. Go to Live Oak Bank. These guys know self-storage. They're a phenomenal group of people. They do incredible work in the self-storage industry. We've had a plethora of listeners go to Live Oak Bank, get their financing, get educated on self-storage. They're an amazing solution for you guys, all your financing needs and all things self-storage. Again, Live Oak Bank. Be sure to check them out. We, I think we found, too, the hard way working in the business itself we were figuring out, we were reporting something, but not communicating how it affected the property. Yes. So it was like, there were these updates and we're like, well, yeah, don't you want to know these updates? But it was like, we we really identified, well, we're telling you this because it affected capital. Yes. And so making but sure how? that we're communicating yes. that story, not just these are the unexpected, the repairs, the capital expenditures. It was like, okay, remember back in quarter one, we had this, this affected the cash flow here. We are now stabilized again, where you'll get a distribution for quarter yeah. two, or we think you're going to, we project yes. you're going to get a yes. distribution. But, um, really identifying like the why and yeah. and making sure that there was no disconnect was a huge yes. the correlation of things that you're reporting to the overall profit the overall property and you know one thing that heather really i think she taught me and that was it, your main job is to manage expectations yeah good or bad mm-hmm. so if you report something that creates an expectation good or bad 
And if you haven't followed through or you haven't given a detailed plan and created an, uh, uh, an expectation of how it'll go, mm-hmm. investors don't want surprises. Yeah, I was going to say create and manage yes. that expectation. Yeah. Yes. And that's a really, really important piece. And for us, I think one of our big struggles were we've been in the storage game for so long and we understand it so well that we almost take it for granted. And it's almost like we think that other people would understand, which why would they ever understand? That's a ridiculous <laughs> expectation to have of anybody on a, a box. But um, it, it, it was that we would either say or talk about things and we wouldn't connect it or correlate it. And so somebody that didn't know, mm-hmm. right, was a little confused. And we're like, yeah, but because we we were assuming, right? Yeah. And that made it, and so that's really not good with investors. Yeah. You need to manage those expectations. I assumed that you would know what we were what that meant right well but i really don't understand so manage the expectation this is going to take x amount of time but if we can't get a contractor or we can't do this or whatnot it may go longer right or hey this happened it's a big deal but it's okay because it's a really simple fix and has no material impact on the asset right that's you got to manage that expectation with the communications with investors and what a testament to having processes and procedures in place to document all these things happening with the asset itself and how important that is. So in fact, uh, recently with the the growth in my department specifically, I actually had our new two hires, Casey and Riley, go back for every single property that we had and start tracking from the very beginning all of the major things that we talked about that to maximize this property so that we knew line item by line item what we said, where we're at in that process, and if we've closed it out. So there are things that we talk about because we get excited or you're on a podcast or whatever, and it's mentioned, and then we fail to mention again because we're just so in the space, right? And so the process of having them go through and date and timestamp pretty much exactly what we've communicated so that we can follow up and make sure that there are no strings left and done yeah exactly no, it's that's that's huge and you know when you when you look at that overall all process when you're in it um our investors they don't see it they don't even live around it and so like when they're not hearing anything mm-hmm. it there's just it, it can leave it so many things open which can drive questions that just creates more work for you right right it does it creates way more work for us and another thing that we've uh, that we're doing, and we've changed a lot, and we continue to change, and we will always will with our communications because we want to maximize. We're trying to eliminate all these things, which you need to do, right? And we're now taking even financials, and we're benchmarking, and we're showing certain points. So how do we describe what we're saying and plot it out visually across to this expense or this capital, right? Um, because that way, it's not just even a reporting or a saying. But that correlation is we can show directly, right? Right. And I feel like visuals to investors are really good because we're in it. We see it. I see the numbers. We see the property. They don't. Mm-hmm. So when you say something, right, but not showing it, that's really left for a lot of interpretation. And yeah. that's not good. Definitely. And going back, pairing this with what we said in the past about like comparing yourselves to other operators and yes. other communications, uh, we do look at like what yeah. other people put out there. But at the same time, my goal has always been to be the difference in yes. the industry. Like I want to take that and I want to make it the best mm-hmm. comprehensive 
all-encompassing. I want to set the standard for the industry. So there's been a lot of morphing and a lot of growing and a lot of evolving to get to that stage. And we will still be evolving and growing and streamlining, but that is the goal. And so a lot of investors, when they say, well, like on this report, put out by so-and-so, it does this. And it's like, I I appreciate the feedback. That's great for me to know Mm -hmm. what our competitors are doing. So I'm going to take that and I'm going to maximize it and and pour some fuel on it in ours. Exactly. And we, you know, best practices, right? um, You take those, we want to, but like you said, you know, we're, you're always trying to be above and beyond. Like our, our, our goal really with investors now, when we started, it was also very different with investors and everybody's going to find this, right? You're, you're going to start out differently, right? We didn't take uh, uh, fees. It was more like a ride along. These were great deals, but they're principally just us. And it was like, I kind of had an attitude. It was like, let's just call it what it is. You're lucky to be a part of this deal. Yeah. And if I'm not communicating with you and everything right actively, I, I had uh, an idea. It was like, this is first. I, this money's mine. You're a very small piece in this, right? And um, it was a not as much of a need because those investors were personal friends. They understood it, and it was more of a put it and walk away. Mm-hmm. As we transitioned, though, to no, we're going to go out to invest a lot more investors, that rapidly changes, and you need to understand those differences. So now, we realize, okay, we need to be top in communicating, managing expectations, but lots of times you just don't realize that until you get feedback. Yeah. What's important is that you take the feedback, you adjust, you report, and you get better. Like I hope that our investors, which our investors are amazing, and so they see like it's get it, like it always gets better, better, and better. And investors want to have confidence; they don't want surprises. They want to make sure things are going as far as planned. They want to be understanding they want to understand what's happening right and you need to facilitate all of those things for them they gave you their money right and you have to put that at top line priority but at the same time i find that generally investors are very understanding they understand things change they understand impacts of certain things right they're okay with it. And I find certain operators don't want to talk about bad things because they feel that it either takes away from them or it, it, it hurts their ability to get money or, you know, it'll scare investors. And for me, obviously we're talking, I do podcasts, tell all the mistakes we make. Um, I'm totally okay with it. I'm upfront about it. And I find that investors actually like that more. Like we talk about even like things that we do internally where I'm like my margin of stupidity. And that's because I don't want an investor to expect me to be perfect because mm-hmm. that won't happen. And they don't. These like, investors, these are smart people. They are working with you. They're a part of the team. You got to treat it like that. And you got to, there has to be understanding, but there's only understanding if you're fixing things. Mm-hmm. It's not that they should accept not having performance or they shouldn't accept not having communication things like no they shouldn't and they of course they shouldn't they gave you their money um and i find that they're all really great if you go down the road where it's we're getting better we're taking the feedback stuff they're amazing yeah you don't have it's they're 
they help you. Like I can't even imagine where we would be at today without the feedback from our investors. Right. We're so much of a better company for it. Oh, couldn't, like couldn't it's agree. crazy how much they have helped us perform. Yeah. And that is, you know, that's just, that's worth a lot to me, to our team here. And we, you, you need to be open for that. Don't view them as a bank. Don't view them as, oh, I got to make things all rosy. And no, don't do that. Be upfront, yeah. honest. Authentic, transparent. Authentic, transparent. Yeah. Exactly. You're creating those long-term relationships, and, yes. and you can't do that without being trustworthy, authentic, transparent. And that's actually we're talking about. It, that's probably one of the big difference on a lot of avenues on how we view this, because when we take an investor on, they, we don't plan for that investor to exit. Yeah. We're not flipping a property <laughs> and giving a up a return point. or anything else like that. Yeah. So for us, we're like, no, you're a partner for you know, we hope literally our plan is that our investors are reinvesting with us and that those assets we have forever. So it's like, you're going to be a partner with us for 20 years, right? We hope that's the goal. And we hope that they just keep reinvesting that money that we're returning and back in, right? And so when you approach it like that, we do, you have to view it differently. I think everybody should approach it like that period, whether it is a short-term investment or not, but it does really change the way we think about it because I can't, we don't want to blow them off and you don't want to say you're what you're saying, but at all, you're a partner. Yeah, you are, you're a partner. And, um, because of that, I think we have great partners because we are open and moving forward. And I think that's just, you gotta really be aware of that when you take people's money. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. It is. It's such a big deal that my department, we literally hand out our cell phone numbers. If you yeah. have any questions, you can call, Boss. text, and they do. And so yes. that's really been, I think, a really good nurturing and differentiator between uh, maybe us and our competitors is we really are invested in our investors yeah. on a nurturing level where it's like, yeah, if our communications might be a little bit delayed, if you have a question, let me know. Like, yeah. we'll do our best to answer it. But that, there is a fine line there too where all the questions are coming in where it's like, just wait one more week. I'll get these out and your questions are going to be answered. But uh, having the nurturing long-term mentality out of the gates and making sure out of the gates when you're talking to your investors that that's aligned out of the out of the get-go. Hundred percent. I I was um, with some syndicators and one of the syndicators was bragging how he never he's never talked to an investor. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it and the point was he was saying we're so efficient, right? Things mm-hmm. like that. And I was like, I don't know that I'll ever want to have that ever at all i talk to investors all the time i mean when we first started i was on hours and everything now obviously i can't talk to every single one of our investors but i'm always talking to investors um i take calls things like that and i'm like that i i keep thinking should i do that should i like and i go but i'm not getting feedback i'm not and i'm like they are my partners i don't want that to go away and that's you know i think that's a, a distinguishing thing we don't they're not replaceable yeah they're not disposable right and we're better because of it yes exactly and we're okay when they call us out yeah and so which they have and they do and that's great i we're we're open for it we're 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 all about it right um and i think too by them doing that and us allowing it and us having those conversations and us taking feedback seriously and actually implementing change it it really does 
uh, build that kind of trust and everything with them. Now, of course, we're not. I'm not saying you get carried away and you let them. No, not at all. We have things that we say. Like, yeah. That's great feedback, but we don't do that. So we, you know, I appreciate it. Right, we understand it, but we we know our value, and we're not saying be abused. That's a totally different thing. You, you know, we're not saying that, you know, you should change any time an investor. No, not at all. Um, but treating them like a partner, that's that's important. And you've mm -hmm. done a great job with that. And uh, changing um, just our system and even when we're overwhelmed, telling them, listen, we're going to get to this, we're, we're really gonna do it. But in order to scale, you have to build processes and systems. So talk about what you've done, especially in the last like five months to not only get investors, but to manage them at more of a scale, because that's yeah. totally different. Yeah, it's definitely changed. We've evolved a lot in the last five months. So um, talking about the funnel, let's talk about what we're doing there, where we've got uh, a couple different funnels. We have a cold investor lead funnel, where it's nurturing the investor that doesn't know about us, really. They saw us on social media. So we have to nurture and educate out of the gates of who we are, what our experience has been and is going to be and what we've syndicated. We covered that experience. We cover self-storage experience. Anyways, through a email chain of nurturing and educating uh, the, with the overarching goal of really getting them into the portal once we verify they're accredited. And so once they're into the portal, then they can actually receive uh, current offering opportunities or receive future communications on uh, future opportunities. So identifying the cold investor, bringing them in, nurturing them, walking them through the process, uh, which also leads me to the portal. So uh, we work with Invest Next to provide our investors a way to log in and track their investments, make a commitment, finalize an offering, all of the things all encompassing one stop and done, which has been phenomenal. Like once again, we've had the experience of doing this old school spreadsheets and manually through emails and stuff. And this has really simplified that process. So we can once again speak on behalf of no portal versus portal. Portal. 100% the way to go. Investors are happy they have the information at hand. We can issue tax documents. We can do distributions. We can uh, ACH into their account or Investnext actually uh, mails a check for us. We don't even write the checks. We yeah. just say, send this amount out. And based upon what the investor has uh, in their uh, account information, gets mailed to that address. So And it makes it safer for them and us. Yes, You're absolutely. not sending, like I told you, you're not sending me a check. Yeah. I don't and see it. I don't, that's not how this works. Yeah, no, definitely not. You you want to follow the wire instructions that are provided, which are in the portal during mm -hmm. the commitment process. They're third party. They're yeah. not attached. We don't own them. We're not, it's, there's a separation, which I think is important. It's amazing. And now it's uh, even more comprehensive with the accreditation status. So it allows us to verify accreditation prior to them even signing the commitment documents, which is crucial because we we can't accept any money from anyone that's not accredited. So we do a lot of, we have a lot of barriers to entry to make sure one, they have to self-verify before we even let them into the portal. Two, then they have to provide a certificate. Three, within the commitment flow process, they have to fill out a questionnaire. So uh, we have definitely safeguarded uh, any liability from the SEC of like, well, you brought in an unaccredited investor. It's like, well, let me show you the brick walls yes. we have up. We have about three of them or more that we are really trying to ensure that we follow your regulations. Uh, that are done so, by qualified, regulated people that aren't us that you guys say yeah. are good, not us. 100%. Yeah, there's no self-verifying. You yeah. self-verify just to get into the portal. But 
it, before you make a commitment, you have to do the, the verification through a third party. So that is great. And the portal actually now is, is integrated with parallel markets. And so they can do it one-stop shop, which has eliminated our need to communicate, collect, and upload. So three steps were eliminated right there where it's just now uh, self-service for the investor within the portal. Fantastic uh, streamline there. Um, uh, more funnels too that we are implementing. You've got the repeat investor where we uh, talk to our current investor list and let them know about what's coming down the pipeline and, and gauge their interest and give them first seat at the table, which we have done uh, pretty well fa historically. But Invest Next also allows us to tag our investors and sort them and base, you know, and communicate based upon what we want to send out or not send out. So. Uh, those kind of streamlines and processes and funnels and the, the nurturing that goes into those, we've automated as much as possible, but we've also injected uh, personal phone calls and prioritized a certain level of investor to make sure that it like gets our attention and we get a phone call to them right away based upon uh, how soon they want to invest or how much they want to invest. And so we do that, but we do try and call everyone welcome them to the portal, answer any preliminary questions, kind of get them gauged and set up for what we've got going on. Yeah, no, it, it, it's so crucial that you set up a system with checks and balances that protects you, protects them, that is, you know, that is a separation from you, but also that is a very fluid process, right? It's easy for people to follow, to understand. Um, and then from there, after you've gotten on board and everything, the next step, setting up that communication, right? Where's it handled? How's it handled? We do it through the portal, right? Also through emails. And you want that consistency. You want a one-stop shop for them to go into where they know they can have access to information. They can see the asset, where everything's going on. But then two, they're also receiving direct communication. So I didn't look in the asset, but I received the information communication and that should be on set timeframes. And you need to walk them through why there are certain timeframes on communication. We close out the books at this time, right? Yes. So setting up processes for this just dramatically eliminates the work, the headache, the misunderstandings, the problems, right? But it also protects you and it protects the investor. Yeah. So, so important. But, you know, um, thank you so much for coming on here. We've gone over so much. <laughs> I just, we could, we could do this just nonstop, literally talk about this all day because it's so important. And for the average person, um, you need investors. And when I say the average person, I mean every one of us. And I talk about this all the time, right? Like money, getting money is the central theme to any business. That's it. Right? That's the central theme. It's the lifeblood of the business. It's the life, everything. And there's never enough. Yeah. Ever. It's just, it's never enough. It's, you're always growing. You need to do more. You need to build out better opportunity. Right? And you need to do that correctly. Um, and you need to grow. But anyone starting out, you, I don't think you need to be intimidated by it. Uh, but you should also just do it right. And that can be done with third parties, people that are experts, right? It's not all on you. Um, and it's okay to be learning and it's okay to not know. It's okay to change. It's okay to do things differently as you move along, as you improve. It's part of it, right? And it, it's, 
okay to need to go out of that comfort zone, right? And take money because everybody does. So thank you so much for coming on here, explaining, you know, what you do, what we've done, our mistakes, our, our successes and how that's all going. I hope this is super relevant and helpful to everybody, but thanks for coming on, Kayla. Yeah. And where can people go to find you? Well, you can find me on all the social media. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn is my definitely professional profile. So if you want to talk business, LinkedIn is probably the best way to go. And I would actually like to shout out to our investors who have given us the opportunity to yes. learn and grow through these experiences. And they've been so patient. They're amazing. They are. Uh, absolutely amazing. And it's great to have success and reward that with them along. It's what yeah. it makes it worthwhile for Make us. Make the dream so a reality. Raising money for deals is no small feat. And I know AJ always talks about how money is always going to be an issue in the industry, no matter if you're just starting out or if you already have a lot of properties under management. So huge thanks to Kaylee for hopping on the podcast as our special guest at this episode. Now it's time to read some of your guys' comments, but this time we're doing it a little bit differently. For those of you who don't know, at the Self Storage Income live event last week, we had a hashtag going around. I've actually been going through these posts. And first off, we have a photo posted by Clint. And he says, it was nice to see some of the people I've only met on social media in person for the first time. Hashtag SSI event 2022. That's super great to hear, Clint. I know the week was fantastic for everybody, but the main goal was to be able to connect everyone to others in the industry. Whether you talked to them before or if you've never met them or if you only talk through online means, and it's great to hear that you were able to make some of those connections. Next up, we have a post by Christina. She posted a photo of Ken McElroy, our keynote speaker, on stage, and she added a quote from his speech saying, First are your learning years. Next are your earning years. Then finally, your returning years. I remember hearing that on stage and I thought to myself, wow, this actually really puts it into perspective. Like, which stage are you in right now? Everyone's in a different stage. Just because you're not in the same stage doesn't mean you can't succeed. In fact, I would argue that you won't ever get to those returning years or that end goal without going through the learning phase and without doing the work. And that plays into our goal here at the Self Storage Income Podcast, we just want to provide you the resources and the tools available to help you succeed. That's why we bring on guests like Kaylee to really share her insights. If you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.